Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Terrio Media. Broadcasting from Terrio Studios in Glendale, California, it's time for Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. Yeah. Hello. And welcome. Welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing, the place where I show people how to escape the rat race using real estate. You just got to shift your focus from making piles of money to making streams of money. Change that one thing just one time and you are on your way to financial freedom. It's not the most exciting path, but it is the fastest. And once you get there, life then becomes exciting. Alrighty, so today I got a, a special show for you today, doing something that I've never, ever done before. Um, I don't know how it's going to turn out. But I've got uh, on the line, I've got Lisa. Lisa is uh, Lisa Shear. She is my uh, new, I guess, assistant coach, um, co-coach, um, other coach inside of the Epic Pro Academy. If you're a member of the Epic Pro Academy, you probably know her pretty well through uh, Facebook, the, our private Facebook group. She interacts there and comments a lot, and she's a great help to people. And so I asked her to uh, come and join me and work with me. And so she's working with me in a coaching capacity, but she's also working with me in a wholesaling capacity. My, she's my boots on the ground, so to speak, in Nashville. And uh, we're out there and we're, we're putting deals together. So yesterday she hit me up with a, a deal that um, got, got, is getting kind of creative. And so we talked through it a little bit. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to let, let's reserve this conversation for tomorrow where we can record it. And we'll just make a podcast episode out of it. And see what happens. And I really don't know what's going to happen. This is unedited. This is our phone conversation. We're just going to go ahead and hit record and start talking. We're going to talk about a lot of numbers, a lot of um, uh, creative structuring. We'll talk about price and terms. I'm going to do my very best to keep this really clear and straight, especially if if you're brand new. You might might get a little lost, but I'm going to do my best to, to really make it simple and be clear and direct the, the best that I can. Um, for those of you that have been here for a while and you've been listening to the show for a while, I think you're really going to love it, is, at least is how I imagine it's going to play out in my head. Alrighty. So on the phone um, waiting for me is Lisa Shearer. Lisa, welcome to Epic Real Estate Investing. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. Good to finally get you on here. We've been working together for a little while. Um, and I want to introduce you to everybody as uh, you're, you're going to be working with me as a coach inside of the Epic Pro Academy and with the brand new follow-through crew. 
And I'm excited about that. And what you're also, the capacity of what you're working with me is you are essentially my, my boots on the ground or my wholesaling partner in Nashville, Tennessee. And we've been doing a lot of business and I wanted to bring you on and just kind of talk about all of that. But first, can you just kind of share with me, uh, you know, what you were doing before you found real estate? Well, I'm 27, Matt, but I feel like it's been a long 27 years. <laughs> um, I was born and raised in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And after I graduated high school, I went to the Air Force. Mm-hmm. I, I knew from an early age, from being very young, that I wanted to be financially wealthy. I just knew that that was my calling. I didn't know how. I didn't know when. But I knew that that was something that I really wanted. Mm-hmm. And I went into the Air Force. Um, I got stationed in Denver, Colorado, at Buckley Air Force Base, and was honorably discharged in 2010, and then proceeded to bounce around. I used the GI Bill to go from city to city in California, finding somewhere I liked, mm-hmm. and bouncing from job to job, um, just taking whatever was available or whatever seemed interesting at the time. And then I actually found my way to real estate. Uh, my cousin Dylan, we're about the same age. And we used to, when we were little, she also knew that she had a calling to be financially wealthy one day too. So we would talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. And when I was living in Southern California, she gave me a call and said, I just read this book. It's incredible. You have to read it. Let it's me guess. called um... <laughs> No, go ahead. Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? No. Oh, okay. I'm going to be the first person to say that was not the book for me. You are the first person that I've talked to for sure. So what was it? It was A Million Bucks by 30 by Alan Corey. Hmm. Okay. And so his goal when he graduated college, when he was 21, was to be a millionaire by the time he was 30. And he tried everything. He ate Dale bagels and Pop ramen for years. He didn't have a social life. He worked every minute of every day, and he was nowhere close. Mm. And that was around 2007 when uh, real estate was really taking off, and anyone could do a flip, make mistakes, and still make a killing. Right. So he ended up achieving his millionaire status by the time he was 29 by doing flips and holding rentals. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, that's cool, but, you know, too bad like, I didn't know this in 2007. Like, it was already 2011 by the time. Um, it was actually 2012 by the time I read that book. And I was like, oh, bummer. I'll have to find another way to get rich. Right. The window closed. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I stumbled upon Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Then it was Rich and, Dad, Poor Dad. Got it. All right. Yeah. But it wasn't the first one. Okay. And I was in a Barnes & Noble, and I saw it, and I didn't know it was about real estate. I just saw it said Rich in the title, and it was 7 bucks. And mm-hmm. I thought, if this is a terrible book, I'll just return it. <laughs> right. But I bought it and read the book. And Robert Kiyosaki explains in the book how you can make money in real estate in any market. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then I jumped on a podcast. Um, it was a podcast app in iTunes. Mm-hmm. And I typed in Robert Kiyosaki, and your podcast was the first one to pop up. That's how you found me. Yeah, that was in 2012. Okay. So. And your podcast was pretty new then. Mm-hmm. You had 
the intro was the like dun 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 dun. Yeah, <laughs> right. Pretty intense intro. And I ran out of your episodes pretty quick. And this is something I actually have never told you, Matt. But I went to Sean Terry's Flip to, Flip to Freedom mm-hmm. podcast, mm-hmm. listened to all of his, and almost joined his academy instead of yours. This almost never was. Ah, really? Good. I did yeah. not know that. Sean is a great friend of the show and a really good friend of mine. We're, we're pretty close. Um, what was the deciding factor? I'm curious. Well, now, mind you, I was a college student, so his academy was $1,999 at that point in time. I have mm-hmm. no idea what it is now. Mm-hmm. And yours was like 800 but I Googled for a coupon code, and you had posted a coupon code on a blog of yours, I think Uh-oh. your do-over blog, <laughs> and you forgot, you forgot to expire it when it was supposed to expire, so mm-hmm. it was still valid. So uh-huh. I got in to the Epic Pro Academy. The first version for $199. Oh, my God. Well, that serves me right because I do that all the time to other people, especially GoDaddy. I get all of my domain names like 40 50% off because I search for those coupon codes. So Interesting. Okay, so, yes, I didn't know that about you. Awesome. Okay. So then you joined the Academy for $199. I don't even remember. That was a long time ago. I don't even remember. Yes. Got it. Okay, cool. And then uh, you dove into the education, I'm assuming? Yeah, my personality type is kind of to go full blast mm-hmm. and then get distracted. Mm-hmm. So I had, um, at that point, a full-time day job working in the call tracking industry. Mm-hmm. It's um, tracking, marketing, using phone numbers. Mm-hmm. And um, I was in the auto department, and I was listening your podcast i joined epic pro academy and i was like cool i'm gonna do this all the way but i was also listening to sean terry's at the same time Mm -hmm. and he suggests that you put a year's salary aside before you quit your job Mm -hmm. so i took that advice and was rolling with your program in the epic pro academy which was the first version at the time Mm -hmm. and I on I was at work one day, and I just thought, I'll just put something on my Facebook if anybody has a house they want to sell. Because I had done some marketing, but in Southern California, as you know, it's a little bit difficult to find motivated sellers. And if they are motivated, find nice ones. Mm-hmm. And I had a full-time day job, so it wasn't that easy to go meet sellers. So I just put it on my Facebook. And that was actually how I got my first property in my portfolio someone who i worked with in the airport saw that post and said i need to get out of my house Mm. so i got my first property in my portfolio through that facebook post awesome awesome so then what happened next so is that what oh that first property is that something that you held on to did you flip it did you wholesale it i held on to it for a while i made a million mistakes on it i lost a good amount of money um, I was very eager and just wanted to get it signed, and I signed a contract that was not in my favor. Luckily, I had a contingency, so I was able to get out of the contract, but that was after a year and a half of being stubborn mm-hmm. and trying to hang on to it. So it was like what, a, a seller finance type contract? Yes, okay. and I made the monthly payments way too close to what the rent was, and the next year the taxes went up, and I immediately started losing money. Got it. And then a tree fell on the house, 
Okay. <laughs> and you had insurance, of course. Yes. Okay. But it was still... It was a very interesting learning experience, I would say. Typically, the first one always is. Um, and sometimes you, you get the lessons and the money, and sometimes you just get the lesson. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So br bring you up to speed up to current date from that point to now, real quick. So life just kind of got in the way, and I was not consistent. I would pick a market send out a mailer, and then after a while, just stop following up. And then I would say, okay, no problem. I'll just pick a new market or I'll do this market again, and this time I'll follow up, mm -hmm. and then wouldn't do it. Mm -hmm. and, and that kept going on. And I did eventually get to a point in that day job where I had saved enough money for a year's salary, and I did quit that job. Mm -hmm. But the, the other circumstances in my life, I let get in the way of my own success. Mm -hmm. So it was between 2013 and maybe six or eight months ago, it just zero consistency. Mm -hmm. okay. And I, I did acquire three more rental properties, but they were all through referrals of that first one. Okay. And those were all seller finance deals. I actually just closed on the last one. I think last month or the month before, very recently. Awesome. And where are these properties? They're in Louisiana. Louisiana. Got it. And they're all performing? Yes. Fantastic. Super. Cool. So you caught my attention uh, really inside of our private Facebook group for the Epic Pro Academy. And when people would chime in with a question, uh, it always seemed Lisa was the first one there to give the answer. <laughs> and based off those answers, I could really tell that, that you had gone through the academy. I could tell that you'd never missed an episode of the podcast because you were answering the questions darn near, you know, almost exactly to the word of what I would have said and how I would have answered it. So I watched you do that for, I don't know, at least six to eight months, maybe even a year. I don't know. It seemed like a long time. I think time. it was about a year. It was about a year, right? So um, I knew I was having a new program coming up and I was like, I was looking for someone to help me out with that. And I was like, you'd be ideal. I wouldn't have to teach you anything because you already got it down and you're already you're already helping everybody inside the uh, Epic community anyway. So that's, that's how I reached out to you. Um, now I know how you found me. So there, I guess we just let everybody in on our private conversation there. <laughs> but I, wa I wanted to bring you on today specifically for, want to introduce you as, as my my partner in, in the coaching program, but also is, uh, you know, we're, we're taking on this world in, in Nashville, uh, this virtual wholesaling world, and we're looking for properties for buy and hold and wholesaling and fix and flip. And you, you're in Nashville, so you're my person on the ground, and I've been driving a, a large number of leads towards you. I've put in a big mailing, actually a couple now. We got the third one going out next week. So we got a nice steady clip, and you're uh, the, or my VAs are filtering those leads. So we're sorting the suspects from the prospects and we're sending the prospects straight to you. And you are following up, setting up appointments with those sellers, right? Yes. Okay, perfect. So just bringing everybody up to speed. So yesterday you had contacted me in on a specific offer that, uh, that you had presented. And we are having a conversation back and forth. And I was like, wow, this would be perfect for the podcast. So that's why we're here. So 12 minutes into the show, 
now you all get to see <laughs> what, why we're really here. Um, cool. So we, um, I guess, go ahead and uh, just start kind of from the beginning with this particular prospect. Yeah, this is a prospect in one of the neighboring cities, a suburb of Nashville. Mm-hmm. And he inherited the property from his uncle, okay. um, I believe, about two years ago. And it has been vacant since. Okay. And I met with him yesterday at the property to assess potential repairs. And they were a lot more than he had let on over the phone, okay. which happens. Mm-hmm. And so in recalculating with the repairs, we couldn't get the cash price anywhere near what he wanted. But the options two and three for seller finance were potentially close. So at this point, we are trying to move the terms around to meet a price that will be acceptable to him in amount of time that will be acceptable to him so that we all win. Perfect. Okay, so we couldn't get the, you couldn't reach an agreement on the cash price just because the, the repairs were too much and he wanted too much. And so you submitted or you gave him a three-option letter of intent. And so that's option number one is the all-cash price, which he has rejected. Option two is a seller-financed option with interest-only payments. And option three is a seller-financed op, seller option with principal-only payments. We've talked about that a lot on, the, uh, on this show. And so, but I just want to bring everybody up to speed in case this is their first time listening. So the, the strategy behind issuing a three-option letter of intent is really Lisa did it in the exactly perfect way that, that she was supposed to, that she was unable to reach that cash price agreement. So rather than just walking away and saying, no, you know, brushing your hands and saying no deal here, I asked Lisa and all the people that I work with, and I recommend to everybody inside of the academy, to leave an offer anyway and leave the three option letter of intent. Because what that does is one, is when they see the uh, this option two and three, it makes option one not look as bad, like that all cash offer. It doesn't look as, as low when you have two other options to consider because you're like, well, I could have all this cash right now or I could have a little bit now and, and more later. And so that that it introduces a new line of logic and a new line of thinking to the seller. And so that's the first thing. And the second thing, everything changes once something's in writing. So you always want to leave that in writing. Third thing is that uh, a lot of times when you give them three options, they, they forget that they have a fourth option that they could actually say no. So that's the third reason you do it. Um, and number five is that nobody else is doing it. So should they change their mind somewhere down the road, they're most likely going to call the person that actually left their phone number behind with an offer. So that's another reason. And the biggie, which actually came right now, was um, it introduces a conversation where there might not have been one before. Because Lisa could have very easily just walked away and say, hey, this all-cash offer isn't going to work. But the seller came back and, and looked at option two and three. And so tell me, it was option three that they were initially commented on. Is that correct, Lisa? Um, option three was the closest to the price, but still not where they wanted it. But they, this seller was more keen on option two because we were able to offer a two-year with the full balance. And option three was 70 months. Got it. Got it. Okay, so the, the, big, the big thing for the seller was they were open. They wanted their price, but now so now they were going to negotiate the terms. 
And you know the, what the position that you want to take is you want the price or the terms. You want one or the other. You can create a win-win situation if you get control of one of those. So it sounds like the seller is really focused on getting his price. So that means we need to work the terms so they so it ends up in our favor. So we win also, and we can still give that seller their price. So option. Uh, oh, and, the, and then the big thing with the terms was that he didn't. He didn't mind giving us terms and paying over time, giving us seller financing. He just didn't want to wait that long. So that's that's the essence. of That was the sticking point, right? Yes. And he originally wanted um, a price, but I did talk him down from that a little bit. So the price that we're going off of now mm-hmm. is after um, some negotiating in person using the phrase that you often suggest, of what are you realistically looking for? I got a $5,000 discount from that when we were at the property. So now we're working with a reduced price, but it's still a little bit more than what I had originally come up with for option two and three. Okay, got it. So just that one question got you a $5,000 price reduction. Right away. What what do you realistically expect to get for the property? I love it. Okay, so there's your $5,000 tip, everybody, right there. Just ask that question once and see what it, what it results into. Okay, so let's let's work with some real numbers. What is... What have you determined to be fair market value? Fair market value is probably a little bit higher than seventy thousand. Okay. Probably seventy six thousand. So I'm going off of seventy thousand right now. Okay, so seventy six thousand is what you determined fair market value. But to be a little bit more conservative, you put that number down at seventy, so that's the number we're starting with, right? Right. And seventy six is still conservative, but I'm I'm just trying to be ultra conservative. Sure, sure. And then uh so I like it. So 70000 and then we're going to subtract the repairs from that, right? Yes. Okay, and you said the repairs came out a lot more than what the person has suggested they were, the seller said they were. So what do you have the repairs estimated as? 24000 24000 okay. And then our profit that we were trying to make on this was? 10000 10000 okay. So that puts us at 50, about 40,000 for the all cash, right? Um, Is that right? So 70 minus, so yeah, it'd be about 35,000, I guess. Okay. And that was no bueno for him. No. Got it. Okay. So we are presenting, so offer two is going to be what percentage of a discount did you offer on option two? I believe 85%. 85%. So what does that put us at? A purchase price, what, like 60-ish? 65? One one second. I don't have it pulled up. Yeah, I'm pulling out the calculator right now. Okay, cool. So 70 times 0.85, that gives us 59000 so 60000 bucks. Yes. And we're offering them terms, so we're offering a down payment with that one? No. No. So that was zero down. Zero down, and he didn't object to that. Okay. And what interest rate were we offering on that? 6%. 6%. Okay. So we take times 0.06 equals that, divide by 12. So we're looking at payments around 300 bucks, 297 Yes, I believe so. Okay. So we got two, I'll just round it up, say $300 in our payments. Now, when did he want that? Uh, oh, so we were offering that in our typical first pass as a 10-year balloon, right? 
Yes, and he said absolutely not. Okay, and so he wanted what? Two years. Two years. Okay, so he wants a two-year balloon. Okay. So I'm looking at a couple things here. Uh, when you come down to negotiating, so everyone can, I hopefully you can see that, you know, he didn't take any option one, two, or three, but it got us back into the conversation of negotiating an offer. So now we're now it's just a conversation back and forth of price or terms. And what I was sharing with Lisa yesterday said, um, would you take a two-year balloon? And I would, but when you're negotiating, you don't want to narrow it down to just one point. So we don't want to go back and forth and just negotiate the two years. You want to have take more of a position of, okay, so I'd be willing to do the the two-year balloon. I'd be willing to do that for you, but what would you be willing to do for me? That would be, the, there's got to be an exchange there. So the other places where we can turn, uh, play with, since there's zero down, we can't do much with that. So we're, we're cool with the zero down. Um, so we have the price to still negotiate, we can work with. We have the percentage rate to work with. Or we have, say, the, the payment uh, that we can play with as far as when do we actually start paying because we have all these repairs, right? Yes. Okay, so we're going back and forth and we're like, okay, so we, if we gave him the two-year balloon, what would we have to adjust to make the deal acceptable? What would we have to adjust in the other areas and the other terms? So what uh, Lisa and I came up with was putting a six-month moratorium on the actual payments. So that would allow us to go ahead and do the repairs, get the property performing, and, and ideally get that performing, collect a couple months, uh, make sure everything is stable before we actually have to make payments on the note. So I like that. I like the moratorium, especially when big repairs are, are uh, in play or anything that gets in the way of the, the delaying the property's performance. Okay. So, so that's good. So we can go back with that. The other thing we have here is maybe the price. So maybe if we said, okay, well maybe if you need two year balloon, then it's 55,000, whatever that means, whatever it would be, you can negotiate that too. I'd be cool with the six month moratorium. The only thing I'd really want to confirm is that if I purchase this property for 60, and I put 24 on top of it, that puts me at $84,000 in. And if fair market value, you had it, you, you were negotiating with 70, but you had it figured as pretty conservatively at 76. So if I understand this correctly, we're about eight, we're paying about $8,000 more than what the property is worth, which I don't have a problem with, but we have a balloon payment in two years. So we don't even have the, the luxury of letting like the market play with that or principal pay down with that or um yeah like like we're, in two years we're gonna have to do something with this so oh, here's the other number that we need what is it rent for lisa 700 conservatively 700 conservatively we've got um let's take the 700 i like to uh, use 60 percent of that that and the 60% is our vacancy, our um, taxes, our maintenance, our insurance, and property management, because I don't like to manage property. So typically about you get about 60% left over of whatever the gross rent is. So that gives us 420, okay? And so we minus the monthly payment of $300. So it's zero down, but it's not really zero down because we got to do the rehab, but that gives us $120 a month. So if we were to times that by 12, so that gives us 1440 over the year. 
So we have to divide that by the rehab because that's the money we're putting down. We don't have a down payment, but we still got to put the money in for the rehab. So we're going to take $1,440 and divide that by the $24,000 in repairs. And that's a 6% cash on cash return. Not great, right? Not great at all. Plus, we have a two-year balloon of which we're paying about $6,000 or $8,000 more than, was that $6,000? Six twelve, yeah, eight thousand dollars more than than fair market value. All right, so now we've figured this out. Hopefully, you're all following along with me. Um, so we're it's eight thousand more. We're uh, at a six percent cash on cash return based on the repairs. Um, but if we have the six month moratorium, you know, we could push that up a little bit, but that it will eventually catch up to us, and we only have two years for that to do it. So that's probably not going to work either. So what we can do to make sure that we're cash on cash. Um, because of the repairs, Lisa, we're gonna have to negotiate the, the purchase price down. We just are. So we can say, we'll give you set, uh, fair market value, but we're going to subtract 100% of the repairs. So the purchase price, is, it can't be any higher than 52,000. Matt? Yeah? Can we take a second? Sure. I think our math went haywire somewhere. Did it? Yeah, I just put it into my phone. Mm -hmm. The cash offer mm -hmm. was, should have been 15000 Oh, 15000 Because we have to um, take out our fee, too, the 10000 Oh, you know what I didn't? We I just took, started taking it from 70000 I didn't do the discount first. Yeah, you, it's a 70% of that minus $24,000 for repairs, minus $10,000 wholesale fee is 15000 cash offer. Right, there you go. Okay, so perfect. Thanks for bringing us back I, there. <laughs> I don't know how the other math went. Got it. Well, I still started with the 70,000. We did 80%. Okay. Okay, or 85%, and that got us to the 60,000. Okay. So right? The seller is willing to take 35,000 for option two or three. Okay. Well, there you go. That's much better. Yeah, that's why he didn't like the cash offer of 15,000. Okay. Well, this is getting way better now. Okay, so the, the math wrong in the first place threw me off guard. <laughs> got it. No worries. That's that's why we okay. that's why we go through the numbers. That's why we f figure this out. And I just thought it'd be better to go ahead and and record this conversation because uh, and, and get on the same page and let everybody listen in. So this is perfect. Okay, so they're willing to take thirty five thousand on option two. Let's start that now. So thirty five thousand times point zero six is 2100 divided by 12, 12 months of the year. And so that makes the monthly payments of 175 instead of 300. That was what you had? I believe so. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, um, so we had got rent of $700 a month. And I like to take 60% of that as far as our, that would be our net rent. 40% for all the expenses that we went over. So we've got 420 minus 175, which is the payment, gives us 245 a month. So we're going to have to see what, what is 245 a month for the whole year. So we do that times 12. It's 2940. Now we're going to divide that by the rehab amount of 24,000. So now we've got a 12% return. Okay? So much, much better. So that's good. So we're going to have 35,000 
for the purchase price that'll be due in two years plus the 24,000 that we put in. So we're at 59,000. So we're still pretty good under, uh, under fair market value. So we still got about, I would say conservatively, we've got $15,000 of equity. And during the two years, we've got a 12% cash on cash return, which would probably be a little bit higher than that since we don't have to make payments for six months. Um, so I like the deal. This is this is something I like. And so the big, next big question, people might be wondering, well, what are you going to do in two years? I like uh, That's another good question. Like you got this balloon payment, you got to pay all this money in the next two years. Now, if you're looking at, at, at each deal as just one deal, yes, that could be a little bit concerning. You're going to have to get some other financing or something like that in place. You're going to have to go out and find a private investor or you're going to have to find, a, say, a local bank that's willing to loan that, that small of an amount. Um, those are other things that you may have to look at or you may have to, like, say, six months out, start trying to sell the thing. That could be a potential out. And so your options are really limited if you're looking at just one deal. But if you look at this as your business, as how many more deals are you going to do between now and then? So you could flip a bunch of properties and you made all the cash to pay it off. Or you've acquired a bunch of other buy and holds to now where you can use the resources from those to pay down this debt. Or you can start moving debt around to pay people off. You have a lot more options if you're looking at at balloon payments within your business as um, you look at those as as part of a whole portfolio and not a single property. Because what happens is the more you control, and this is what we're this is kind of the strategy with this property, is we're getting control of it. Because the more you control, the bigger your portfolio, the more options you have. Because it's much easier to manage the debt in that portfolio than it is to go out and find new deals. So that is my philosophy is to acquire as much as you possibly can, get control of as much as you possibly can, responsibly, of course. And I would consider this a responsible acquisition because we've got a 12% cash on cash return at least, and we've got about $15,000 of equity. That's a responsible position. And the, the cash flow from, or the, the rent from the property, I mean, it easily covers the expenses. So those are all the different things I'm looking at. So that so as we go back, Lisa, to this uh, to the seller, let's propose. Um, let's let's do this. Let's say, let's go back and Matt, yeah. Are we missing the wholesale fee though? Oh, I see what you're saying. No, the, with the uh, the seller finance deal, we're gonna have to put that on top for the other person. The, the, what I'm looking at right now is if we can't wholesale it, is it something I would still be willing to hold? Right, but I'm going to get paid. Absolutely, right. absolutely. So we we didn't factor that into it. Right. No. So this is this is what we have here is we have um, we have a nice package little deal that's really easily uh, acquirable for anybody, like seller financing or any type of financing, and especially with zero down. That's very appealing. People are willing to pay a premium for that. We do that all the time. So if someone is going to give us, it would be equivalent to an assignment fee. Of, Correct. So they're buying the property, but they're also buying the terms. And the terms make the property even more appealing and people are willing to pay a premium for that. So we can still get an assignment fee on top of that. 
I'm not concerned about that. Okay, because I've only been seller finance where I personally keep it, and then I don't need to worry about a wholesale fee because it's mine. Right, exactly. So, so we don't need to factor that into the cash-on-cash cash return? Well, the word need is a strong word. We can, but um, that's going to be for the buyer to figure out. So Okay. So we present around. it as an assignment fee mm-hmm. that's separate from the cash-on-cash cash return. Exactly. We're analyzing the property Perfect. as the single single uh, property, single asset. So, um, and even if you bring up that point, and if that's a concern for you that this is a little tight because maybe 10,000 more bucks on top of this, that brings it down to what, to an 8% cash on cash return. And that might make it a little bit more difficult to sell. So we can factor that in as well. So if they're willing to take 35,000 with the seller finance of 6% and zero down, I say we counter, let's counter back at 30,000 at, so, Matt, yeah. he, the only thing that he seems firm on mm-hmm. is around two years and $35,000. Can we mess with the percentage? Sure. So he, I was going to do that as well. So let's do 35000 then. I love it. And we'll do, instead of 6%, we'll go to 5%. We'll give him the two-year balloon. But we get six-month moratorium on payments. Okay. And now when you counter back, you can just write that in to the contract. You can write that as part of the terms. So purchase price $35,000, uh, zero per, uh, seller to carry back at 5%, zero down payment, two-year balloon. So it's, it's 5% interest-only payments, two-year balloon, and first payment not due till six months from acceptance date. Or two, six months from close of escrow. Perfect. Got it? Cool. So we went a roundabout way, but uh, I just wanted everyone to kind of hear and hear the thought process that goes on on a real live deal on exercising and, and implementing the actual stuff that we talk about here on the show and see how it works in a real world application. I would love to say it's a nice, straight, easy line every single time. In a perfect world, it would be, but it's not a perfect world. So the whole option, let me let me kind of just sum this up. The three-option letter of intent, I want you to use that when you have been unable to negotiate an all-cash discount price, whether that be over the phone or face-to-face. So they said no to that. So now give them the three-option letter of intent. And you have, if you have to go home and, and figure that out, Go home, figure it out, and mail it. And maybe drop one off. And if you got their email address, email it one, too. And then uh, you can follow up and say, hey, I sent you some additional options. Did you like option one, two, or three? And they're even going to say, I didn't like any of them. Or they're going to say something like Lisa got, I liked option number two, but I don't want to wait that long to get my money. Boom. Now your window is open. Now you've got this opportunity to now talk about um, putting a deal together. And when you're putting the deal together... You've got two things to negotiate. You've got the price and you've got the terms. You have to keep control of one of them, okay? That's how you're going to win. So if they want all cash, then you're going to come down with a really low price, right? And so you win. If they want their price like this person does, then you got to play with the terms like we did so that you can win as well. And so in in this scenario, we've come up with a win-win scenario. You've heard how we talked through it. We had some misunderstanding. We had our numbers wrong, but we're doing it all over the phone, so we really couldn't see it. And um, 
but now you saw how we came to the resolution, right? So Lisa, you think this is a, this is, you're feeling good about this, this might fly. Oh, absolutely. Okay, perfect, perfect. Then uh, we'll do an, an update, say next week, on whether this, how, how it panned out, okay? Perfect. Cool. Well, thanks, Lisa. Any parting words? How is it going out there? You know, we've got a couple months of um, driving leads to you and through the, the, our marketing efforts. And uh, what are you noticing out there? Anything in the market or what have you found to work or not work? Yeah, um, I think that just knowing um, like your the area in general and how people like to be talked to and if they prefer to do more talking or, or get more information up front. I think that just knowing your market really well. Here in the South, um, people expect you to not be in a rush. So mm. it's important to add additional time mm-hmm. um, because you can easily offend a seller by trying to get out of an appointment really quick. So I schedule extra time, mm-hmm. and it really makes the seller feel comfortable. So I would say that um, that's a, a key thing in any market is just to make sure that you understand the people that live there. But I, it's a great market here, especially the suburbs around Nashville. Nashville is exploding, mm-hmm. and everyone is having to move out. So this is the perfect time for us to be wholesaling here. Perfect. So really the, the, the thing in there is just assimilating and building rapport with the person is just as important as, you know, closing the deal, basically, or to close the deal. It's really the only way to get there unless they absolutely have an emergency. But with... Um, especially like a, a market that's so close to Nashville, we have competition. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if we're willing to put in the time to find out what they need to make them feel comfortable, mm-hmm. we're the ones that they want to go through at the end of the day. Absolutely. And that's what that first question is when you have, when you're talking to the motivated seller is, um, tell me about your situation. That's your opportunity to hear about what's going on with them and build that rapport. And, uh, perfect. Cool. Well, thanks Lisa. Um, we will uh, we'll chime in real quickly. We won't take a half hour to do it next week. <laughs> but And I'm sure we'll be much more on the same page next week, but we'll bring everybody up to date next week. Sound good? Perfect. Cool. Good luck, and uh, call me if you need me, okay? All right. Thanks, Matt. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Alert! Alert! Real estate investors, listen carefully. A closely guarded secret reveals that closely guarded secrets aren't really that closely guarded. (laughs) Seriously, go to findmotivatedsellersasap.com to get the inside scoop on how the nation's most successful real estate investors really find their deeply discounted properties. Go to findmotivatedsellersasap.com. Deeper discounts, less secrets. Findmotivatedsellersasap.com. All righty, that's it for today. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. You've been listening to Epic Real Estate Investing, the world's foremost authority on separating the facts from the BS in real estate investing education. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to visit iTunes and share your thoughts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time here at Epic Real Estate Investing with Matt Terrio. If opening up your financial statement each month is about as exciting as watching paint dry, the Epic Wealth Fund may be the next investment opportunity for you. 
The Epic Wealth Fund invests in distressed real estate and shares the profits with its shareholders. If you're an accredited investor who has already enjoyed success elsewhere in their business or investing life, and you're seeking a broader exposure to real estate in your portfolio on a passive basis, the Epic Wealth Fund's executive summary is available for your review. Go to epicwealthfund.com to review the fund's executive summary. epicwealthfund.com Real estate investments involve a high degree of risk. Residential income and returns may vary and are not guaranteed. Past performance is no indication of future performance. Nothing herein shall be construed as investment, tax, legal, or accounting advice. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>